Otherwise on SAFM. Welcome to Otherwise on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. Hazel Makuzeni is my producer and Garnet Nguinika, our technical producer today. Our number is 0892-102010 or email otherwise at safm.co.za. Today we talk about contraception and the right to safe and legal abortion. But first, if you've been thinking about Botox, facelifts, liposuction, etc., then meet Dr. Jennifer Irvin, who joins us from our Johannesburg studios after this. Otherwise, on SAFM. Dr. Irvin, welcome to Otherwise, and thank you for your time. Uh, good afternoon, Shadow, and thanks for having me on your program. I wish you were sitting across from me, because then I wanted you to look at my face and tell me what I needed to do and <laughs> what I didn't need to do. We could have had some fun. I know, but you're a GP that specializes in aesthetic medicine. Can you can you tell us a, a, a bit of a roundup of what you do? Um, yeah, the aesthetics isn't actually um, a recognized speciality as yet. There's no uh, specific faculty for it through the medical uh, colleges. Mm-hmm. So most people who've got involved in it have another speciality, whether it be GP or plastic surgery or dermatology, and then they uh, uh, go from that area into aesthetic medicine. Okay. What, what I do day to day now is predominantly aesthetics. I have a very small GP practice because the aesthetics... Um, demand has grown so much over the last 10 years within South Africa that uh, 90% of what I do now day to day is aesthetic medicine. I was wondering about that, you know, whether there is a a market for it and if it is a lucrative and growing market, but I I hear that it is. Is this mainly, is there a particular age group and is it predominantly women? No. The, The age was vary from early 20s right through till I would say my oldest patient must be about 70, 78. And it depends on, on age can't be a limit to this. It depends on how well you look after yourself and, and, and what the demands are from your life. With regards to the, the sex, whether it's male and female, <coughs> with the advent of the metro man, very definitely our male uh, pop- population is starting to be more concerned about their looks. Um, it's important in their job and advancement and getting partners in life and they're taking better care of their skin and their, their appearance. So the, our, the demographic of our practices is, is slowly changing but it, it is a slow take up. I'm curious about your youngest, uh, youngest patient that you've seen and, and what you saw them for. I don't know, do you call them patients or clients? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. I would suspect most of the time we call them clients, but, you know, uh, from a medical point of view, we've worked long and hard to have patients, haven't we? <laughs> um, my youngest client was 16, which, um, and she came for uh, wanting some liposuction done to her, her body, um, which I thought was quite quite sad because at 16 mm. we meant to be really feeling the best about ourselves. Mm. But she did come with her mum. Um, would be very nervous to treat somebody that young, and I think it's more about counselling at that stage rather than actual intervention. But how do you intervene? I mean, <coughs> would you do you find that you have the space to to uh, discourage somebody from 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 you know aesthetic? Uh, uh, of, of what do you call it, of procedures. Yeah. I think if, if it is inappropriate, 
it is important that you that you discourage them. We mustn't forget that people are coming to us for an opinion. This is what we've trained. This is what we've studied. This is what we our skill is meant to be. Um, people often come asking for a particular procedure, thinking that that may be the solution to their problem. Mm-hmm. And if it is, that's great. But if it's not, um, it, they're paying you for your opinion and your knowledge, and it's important that you then share with them that this may be inappropriate and there may be a better way to deal with whatever the issue there may be. What are the biggest uh, uh, services that, that are required of you? I mean, I, do you do mostly liposuctions or do you do mostly Botox or, you know? Yeah, my, my practice is um, split. Pretty much down the middle. I have three days a week where I do what I call clinical work, which is predominantly uh, injection of Botox or fillers um, or other skin treatments, uh, about anti-aging skin treatments. We do skin resurfacing with lasers or um, run mole clinics or I treat a lot of um, acne. I've got quite a big um, school going population in our area. We treat a lot of acne. And then two days a week I'm in uh, theatre doing and a, a form of liposuction called assisted liposuction where we use uh, either lasers or radio frequency. So it's a little bit gentler and the downtime is shorter than conventional liposuction and a little bit safer. How often, and, and I'm not too sure what I'm talking about because I've, I've never had any of these or seen, or I see quite a few people maybe on television or so that have got uh, Botox or have had some sort of facelift or as you call them, fillers. But um, how, how long do they last after each treatment? I mean, is, is, it, is it a re, recurring procedure that you have to do every few years? Certainly it is. It depends on what, what product you're using and what you're trying to achieve. So the likes of Botox, um, it, it's a, a protein that we're injecting, and it only lasts four to six months. Our bodies are designed to break, break it down. Um, fillers, depending on the different kinds of fillers, they last anything from six months up to two years. So most of these treatments are recurring treatments that you require. Mm-hmm. But the, the effects that they have are anti-aging on the skin. So although, say, we talk about Botox and you, the movement comes back to the muscle that we've injected, the effect of not having that movement decreasing the wrinkle on your skin will start to become more long-lasting with time or the fillers hydrate the skin. So your skin texture and hydration improves even if the volume that's been injected slowly disappears. Oh, how safe are they? And I ask, I, I ask a stupid question because you, you're obviously going to tell me they are okay. <laughs> can, can one ever run the risk of, of, of hurting themselves or, or you know, uh, disfiguring themselves with, with these fillers? Um, most of these products have had a lot of research behind them. If we're looking at about botulinum toxin, it's one of the most researched and understood drugs from a medical point of view. We've been using it in medicine for over 20 years. Mm. It has a lot of bad press, but that's commercial um, mumbo-jumbo a lot of the time. But the science behind it is there, and it's safe. The bad results that you see is more injector skill rather than the product itself. There's a very low risk with both filler and um, botulinum toxin to have 
um, adverse reactions. But if ever you're injecting a foreign substance, there is that small risk, and that's why you need to go to a well-trained practitioner, somebody who does a good medical history to minimize your risks. How do I know if, if it's a qualified person? I think you need to do your research. You need to have a look at, uh, find out what training that particular uh, doctor has done. Um, and that you can get through these various um, associations now that all the cosmetic um, doctors and the, the GPs injecting belong to. Uh, and they have to prove that they've got their qualifications through there. A number of the companies that are uh, producing products do a lot of in-house training. They're forming academies to upskill all the doctors because at the end of the day, we're all being tarred with the same brush. So if one person makes a mistake, mm. we're all, oh, you know, the doctors are bad. So uh, we are trying as an industry to upskill ourselves, to improve the reputation of the doctors, to do um, peer review within amongst ourselves so that we're keeping up to date, that we're ahead of the game, that we're keeping up, up to date with all the new advances within this field of medicine. Uh, do you, does one have to be a medical doctor uh, before they practice or they specialize in, in, in the aesthetics medicine? You do have to be a doctor uh, to, to do um, aesthetic medicine. There are some dentists who inject uh, Botox and filler, um, and they are allowed to inject if it's around the perioral area because that obviously is an area that they are, they are well um, Perioral trained. meaning around the mouth. That's right. Okay. That's where all their skill is. Okay, but, but no beautician, for instance, no. can claim to, to be able to, to do the, these procedures. No, not at all. Overseas they can, but in South Africa it's still quite very strongly uh, regulated, and you have to be um, a doctor, medical or dental, to inject. Now, there's a, there's a big thing about uh, medical tourism that is happening. Do you find that a lot of people from other countries come to us in South Africa to, to have these procedures done? And why would they leave their countries to come here? Um, they come here for two reasons. Number one, the, if you're coming from places like Europe and the UK, the pound is still relatively strong compared to the rand, and the rand's weakened quite significantly of late. So coming here has, makes their treatments way more affordable. Mm -hmm. um, we, we have very good, good doctors here. We've still got uh, highly skilled and highly trained doctors. I do think the... the I like the way you say we still have. <laughs> <laughs> We do. We've got some top, really top doctors uh, countrywide, and often that's not acknowledged and recognised. Um, I'm just changing subjects, but, but when we go overseas and look at some of the work we're seeing overseas compared to what we're doing here, mm -hmm. we really are ahead of the game. The, the quality of work that's been produced in South Africa is very good. So, so and, and this is why they come here, again, though, so that their friends don't know that they had the procedure at all. That's right. They'll call it the South African son that treated mm. them so well. Exactly. <laughs> they've been on holiday and they've had a time to recover. <laughs> I just think it's starting to slow down a little bit, though. Um, especially in the UK, there's been a lot of um, bad press about uh, patients going to other places, other countries to have their surgeries done. Mm. Not necessarily South Africa. A lot of it is in uh, Europe and Eastern Europe and then the NHS having to pick up the, the complications. So there's been a lot of bad press, and I think that's slowly um, slowing down a bit, but within time we'll probably find it, it'll have another cycle and it'll get busy again. Talking about your patients, do you, are you finding a lot of uh, black people who come for these procedures? Very definitely. Mm. Really? Very definitely. Large yes. number? Yes, yes. Really, and what are they doing? 
across the board. Um, I've got Botox filler, uh, treating pigmentation, so they're doing uh, facial treatments with uh, peels or mesotherapy, anti-aging, weight loss, liposuction. Definitely there's no color barrier to <laughs> anesthetic medicine. We all want to look good. <laughs> Isn't it just all vanity? You know, I don't think it is. Um, obviously, it's something that I've thought about. But we live in a time where everything, is, everything about us is judged according to media standards. These beautiful men and women on glossy magazines, perfectly airbrushed faces and bodies. And that's who we're trying to compete with to, for our own confidence, to get ahead in our jobs, to find a partner in life. I don't think it's vanity. I think it's about, it's about self-preservation, it's self-improvement and confidence. If you're feeling good about yourself, your confidence is good, and, and you, you're so much more productive and achieve so much more in your life. And what has been the most outstanding um, procedure you've done that stands out above all of them? Oh, you know, I, I, it's hard for me to put it down to procedure because it's, it's about achieving the result that your client or patient is wanting to achieve. Mm. And then... When you first meet them and they're maybe a little bit shy or a little bit reserved and, and you address the issue that they, they want addressed and next time you meet them, they walk in, shoulders held high, head held high, shoulders back and you think, wow, you've partly contributed to the change in that confidence. So it's not necessarily a procedure, but it's the, the process of the improvement in the confidence that I find so, so incredibly rewarding. Lastly, I want to know how much these cost, because I'm sure they cost an arm and a leg. And I, does medical aid cover them? No, medical aid doesn't cover any of this. This is all regarded as um, uh, cosmetic type treatments, cosmetic mm -hmm. surgery. So there's no, no medical aid. You can get um, various companies helping with finan financing the procedures, but there's no medical aid cover. And the costs vary really on what you're having done. So it can be anything from... A thousand rand to ten, twenty, thirty, <laughs> wherever you decide to stop. <laughs> yeah, because, because when you start, it's addictive, isn't it? You, you just don't know when to stop. That, the, there is a time, to, not necessarily to stop, but there's a time that you, you can achieve what you're trying to achieve and then just maintain what you've done. The, all these procedures are certainly becoming way more accessible by your average man in the street. People all have always under the impression that Botox and filler and all these liposuctions and plastic surgery treatments were very much for the rich and famous. Mm. But with as things become more and more popular and prices come down a bit, it's very much accessible by anybody. Yes, you may have to save a couple of months to be able to afford it, but you can take good care of yourself within a budget that, that can be designed to suit you. Please hold that thought. We'll be back talking to you after this. The Desmond and Leah Dudu Legacy Foundation and the University of the Western Cape present the third annual Desmond Dudu International Peace Lecture. Tune in to SAFM on Monday the 7th of October at 7pm with myself, Masichaba Mdolo, and special guest speaker, Mr. Kofi Annan, former UN Secretary General and Chairperson of the Elders. This broadcast is made possible by the University of the Western Cape. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Hi, I'm John de Villiers. And we got to spend time with the captain talking bots and books, family. And fish. Meet the cast of Rush, the story of Formula One's most epic rivalry. 
in a top-filling exclusive, Benang gets closer to the truth about Sher. And you presented to an actress, Boiti Tulo, invites us into her home. Yes, and Boiti now with the long hair, only on Top Filling. That's this Thursday, 8.30, only on SABC3. Join me, Rowena Bird, as we broadcast live from the Women in Energy Forum on the 1st of October at the Gallagher Convention Center. The Women in Energy Forum is a platform for women involved in the energy space in South Africa to learn from international women leaders, connect with one another, share industry knowledge, and ultimately promote mentorship and career development opportunities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. up for Shop Shop Children's Program on SAFM with Leon Fisser at 10 minutes to 2 Tuesdays and Thursdays. On SAFM. Dr. Irvin is a dermatologist, I'm right? No. No, no, you're not. You're just a GP that specializes in aesthetic medicine. That's right. That's okay, right. and there's a difference? What's the difference? There's a dermatologist who specialized in dermatology, which is in essence the, the study of uh, diseases of the skin. So having got their uh, degree, they've then gone and done further training and specializing in dermatology. But I come to you for my acne and I go to dermatologists for my acne. You can do, but they've specialized in it. Um, I've, I went overseas and I've specialized as a, a GP. I've got uh, my um, member of the Royal College of General Practitioners specialization. And, you know, I can still treat acne, but it's not my speciality. Oh. So if we, we were treating acne and I was starting to have difficult problems, then we, could, we would send you on to a dermatologist. But I've got a lot of additional experience in dermatology due to my my past experience in overseas. So a lot of my practice has grown up around my involvement with treating skin conditions. Okay. Do you what sort of is 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 the face mainly what you deal with? I know you do liposuction on the body, but the face is mainly what what you what you are specialised in. Yes. Face, neck, and hands is really what people are wanting to rejuvenate. That's that's where how we're judged. What do people do to their hands? Oh, we can do um, we can treat all the sun marks that you get on the back of your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can uh, do skin resurfacing to improve how old they look. We can put filler in between your fingers when they're getting um, thin and starting to see the tendons come through. So uh, there's people are doing more and more to uh, try and make their hands look youthful because that's where we we often forget. Neck and hands don't get treated and faces do. So you look at ladies and they've got these beautiful young faces and their neck and hands are <laughs> aging them, giving away the secret. <laughs> Is there a time when, uh, I mean, when we can expect to have these treatments done but you can actually move your body, I mean, move your, your have an expression on your face because that's really what gets me. People are expressionless, you know, they have a permanent smile or a permanent look about them. You know, with that, that again, it's, that's nonsense. That is pu- purely, poorly performed treatments. You should be able to have had your treatments done to that enhance how you look, not make you look different or silly. And uh, certainly if you've got a frozen face, you've been over-treated, and uh, that's, that's a poor quality injector as far as I'm concerned. And if you did stop these treatments after a few years, what happens? <laughs> that is such a good question. You know, everybody asks me that. Is my face going to collapse in? Exactly. Oh, I mean, no. <laughs> no, not at all. What's, what in actual fact happens is um, 
let's take an area. Say you're worried about that uh, wrinkle between your eyebrows. And so we, we treat that and we inject that and we take it away. And when you stop treating, you've bought yourself time. So you've managed to inject yourself for 10 years and now for some reason you no longer can afford to do it or you've decided to stop you, in essence, are just going to start aging from where you are now. Mm. You've bought yourself time. It doesn't collapse in. And in actual fact, the treatments that you've done just will have decreased the aging process, have slowed it down. And you'll always look better than your friends, even though you've now stopped. <laughs> <laughs> have you had anything done? Of course. How can I work in this, this field and not, <laughs> not practice what I preach? <laughs> do, do you do it yourself or do you get someone else to do it? No, it's, it's quite difficult to inject yourself. But um, I think it's, it's quite important that I, that I do do it myself because I'll have people come in and say, oh, I don't want to look plastic and I don't want to look like this. And I'll say, well, I've got a bit of Botox here and I've got a bit of filler there. And I'll say, really? I couldn't, wouldn't have told. And that's how it's meant to be. Well, People I'm, are meant I'm, to think you look great rather than... I'm looking at your picture. You do look great. I, d- I didn't think you'd done it. But uh, <laughs> if that's how good you are, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, your, your clients are very happy. I'll see you next week, Shadow. <laughs> <laughs> you wish. No, I, love, I love the stories my lines tell. I do. But thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Irvin, and thanks for your time. I hope we, you didn't lose too much money sitting here with us. Oh, not at all. It's been lovely to chat to you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, Dr. Irvin. <laughs> Pleasure. Bye-bye. Join me, Rowena Bird, as we broadcast live from the Women in Energy Forum on the 1st of October at the Gallagher Convention Center. The Women in Energy Forum is a platform for women involved in the energy space in South Africa to learn from international women leaders, connect with one another, share industry knowledge, and ultimately promote mentorship and career development opportunities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Being born with retinal blindness is like being locked inside yourself, half-seeing, half-blind. But now there's a cure in sight, and the key is gene therapy. Soon, through this miracle of science, thousands of children will get the gift of sight. Join Retina South Africa in making their dream come true. SMS DREAM to 38267 and donate 10 Rand. Or go to www.acureinsight.org.za. Free SMSs do not apply and prices exclude VAT. Otherwise, on SAFM. I'd like to welcome Dr. Peter Cole, who's a specialist obstetrician and gynecologist on the phone from us from Sandton. Dr. Cole, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you for talking to us. Now, in, in, in September, we saw World Contraception Day, and I thought, in 2013, do we still need to be uh, harping on about contraceptives? Why is this important? I think more so than ever. I think people are aware of it, but I think they need, um, we need to create a little bit of awareness to get people to actually get out there and, and do something about it. And to be sort of proactive about contraception, you know, to get out there and consider going on to contraception before they're sexually active. There's many non-contraceptive benefits to contraception as well, and many um, young girls would, would benefit significantly using it even before they're sexually active. What are we talking about when we talk contraception? Well, we've got a bigger range of contraception now than we've ever had in the past. Mm-hmm. 
obviously we know the barrier methods, the condom, and I don't think we must underemphasize the importance of the condom. Now, I don't think on its own it's an ideal long-term contraceptive. But in addition to any other contraceptive, it's probably the best protection against sexually transmitted diseases that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think anybody in a new relationship, um, I would strongly advise to use um, one of the other contraceptive methods, but to also always use condoms um, for protection against um, sexually transmitted diseases. Then we have the whole range of the oral contraceptives. Now, we've got lots of new oral contraceptives on the market um, with more specific uses for women with heavy menstrual bleeding, for example, is a contraceptive um, for women who have skin problems. So there's a much bigger range of contraception, um, of oral contraceptives, and many of them are much safer than the older ones. So we've got a much wider range of oral contraceptives. Then we've got the intrauterine devices, or copper T, has been around for donkey's ears. Is it still... Is it still recommended? In certain people, yeah. It's not my first choice, but it's certainly still recommended in many patients who can't use hormonal contraception for uh, any number of reasons. And then uh, the other intrauterine device is called a Mirena. It secretes progesterone into the uterine cavity and has wonderful effects on reducing the amount of menstrual blood loss, reducing period pain, and it's the most effective um, reversible contraceptive on the market at the moment. So that has a fairly wide application, particularly in women who um, are planning a long gap between pregnancies or whose family, for all intents and purposes, uh, is complete. No, the no, newer yeah. methods that we have, we have a contraceptive ring called a Nuva ring, which you just insert into the vagina. It stays there for three weeks. In three weeks, you pull it out. When you pull it out, you have a withdrawal, a menstrual bleed. And then when that starts, you just pop another ring in. So you only have to pop a little ring in once a month and remove it once a month. Now, Dr. Cole, I, you know, the responsibility, again, is still on, on young women and, and, and older women, or all women, really, to take responsibility for safe sex. Um, we know that the condom is, is used by men as well, but does, doesn't this then, you know, um, create a bigger problem? Uh, because if the young lady is not using contraceptives, maybe she does not want, again, doesn't want uh, it to be known that she is sexually active, you know, especially by parents and all of that. Um, what, what, what are we saying about male responsibility? You know, males, regrettably, are, are, are notoriously irresponsible when it comes to contraception. And the onus, I'm, I'm not arguing whether this is right or wrong or whether it should be this way or shouldn't be that way, but, I mean, the fact is it is this way in this day and age that women need to take most responsibility for, um, for contraception. I'm not saying should take. I'm mm. saying we just need to take. Mm. Otherwise, the end result is going to be unwanted pregnancies. Do you still see a lot of patients that would say, I did not know about the contraceptive? I did not know that I had a choice? I think everybody knows about it, but I think um, we need to get young people to actually go and do something about it, to get to the clinics, to get some advice and to get an appropriate contraceptive. 
Whose responsibility is it to initiate those discussions? Are we talking doctors, but if you don't see a doctor, we, you mentioned clinics now, but what about parents and, and, and I, I think one wouldn't like to say this one's responsible or that one's responsible. I think there's a joint responsibility. I think teachers have a very definite responsibility. I think parents have a very definite responsibility. And, you know, I think through the media and through a media awareness programs, I think the media carry some responsibility as well. Mm. And this is why we're talking to you. And uh, it's been wonderful. This is what the contraceptive week. That, why I'm so grateful to you guys for the, con, you know, for the input that you've put in, and for the immense publicity that's been given to the contraceptive day, World Contraception Day. But what, what, what age then is considered medically safe to use a contraceptive? I think it depends on a particular um, person's history. You know, if they, um, uh, you know, when they started their periods. But one can start contraception fairly early. There's, there's an argument that it also encourages promiscuity. I think that argument has, thank goodness, largely been um, put to rest. I don't think contraception um, increases promiscuity. I think sort of teenage passion is what's responsible, and that isn't affected by contraception. Teenage passion? <laughs> Hormone <laughs> kicking in, yeah. And they kick in early these years, eh? They do indeed. So how do you then help me as a parent and, 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 and say to me, okay, this is how you broach the subject? Because, you know, uh, I, th I think parents should be the ones to introduce, to take fuller responsibility before we get to um, teachers and, and, and nurses and, and doctors like yourself. You know, it's a diff difficult question to answer across the board because, you know, people have different relationships with their children. I mean, even in the same family, you might have a slightly different relationship with, with two different daughters. I mean, you love them both equally, mm -hmm. but your relationship with both of them, one might be a little bit more open and outgoing and the other one won't. I think it depends largely on the parent, on the child, and the relationship that they have. A useful way of sometimes broaching, broaching it when patients ask me is they obviously seeing me for a gynae checkup and I say to them look when you go home this, when you go home this evening just chat to the child and say I went to the gynae I asked him whether he needed to see you or not and he said if there's no problems and there's and sort of introduce the topic through that mm, mm. you know he discussed the need for contraception or if you have any problems if you have heavy bleeding or if you have pain with your periods then certainly he would see you and have a chat to you with sexually transmitted diseases, especially with new uh, younger people who are new at, at the at sexuality or the act of or the sexual act, um, or having sex, maybe that's what I should call it. What what are the lookout for signs? Um, you know, when should they worry? When should they come and see someone or go to the clinic? Because for, for a sexually transmitted disease. Yes. You know, the problem is the most dangerous sexually transmitted disease at the moment clearly is HIV. And there won't be any symptoms until it's well advanced. Mm. So I, it's massively important to protect against, the, uh, you know, against sexually transmitted diseases. The other commonly, um, uh, the other common uh, sexually transmitted diseases that we see would either present with a discharge, often an offensive discharge, mm -hmm. or with a little ulcer on the um, on the outside, on on the male penis or on the vulva in the female. Mm. And, and that, 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 that's the best way to then respond. And how, how treatable are these, um, well, apart these, from the HIV and AIDS that we know about? But how treatable are, are the others? You know, most of them are, are, are pretty easy to treat. And if you catch them early and treat them properly, 
um, they shouldn't have any long-term sequelae. Obviously, herpes um, remains a problem, and that's not that's easy to treat acute attacks, but it's, you can't cure it. Um, only your body's immune system hopefully eventually will, will flatten it. But the herpes virus resides in, um, in the nerve ganglion, and it's hidden from your body's immune system there, and whenever you're under stress or anything, it comes down and causes um, a re-ulceration in the area where it originally presented. And that we can't cure. Um, that we can just treat individual episodes. Now, usually people are embarrassed at this point to seek help um, because, again, nobody knows that they're sexually active. Um, how do you advise them, you know, to can, – can they go to the chemist for one or do they really necessarily have to see uh, a doctor? Look, I think it's important to make an accurate diagnosis and I don't think a pharmacist can – often make an accurate diagnosis on history alone. So I think, yes, there's certainly no embarrassment in going to see a doctor um, about a sexually transmitted disease. Um, hopefully in this day and age, doctors won't try and preach to them and alter their sexual behavior. They'll just give them correct advice on contraception, prevention, and or prevention of sexually transmitted diseases and treat the condition that they have appropriately. But do you know how, how teenagers are? They share information, sometimes wrong information. Uh, I know that there's, there's a, a, morning, a morning pill that usually they, the, 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 you know, they, they can buy, I think, over the counter and because they've had unprotected sex, so they think they would have been pregnant. Um, and, and they share all kinds of information. So others would tell others that, you know, you can go and get a, 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 a tablet at, at the chemist, an antibiotic. Yeah, the chemist can't really dispense an antibiotic. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't think the pharmacist is allowed to dispense antibiotics without a prescription or certainly most antibiotics. Um, so they would need to see a doctor to get, um, or a clinic. Um, you know, there are STD clinics around um, where they would get the appropriate treatment. The morning after pills worth talking about. Um, uh, you know, I, I think there's some um, misunderstanding about that. That is not a contraceptive. Um, and you can't use it repeatedly. Tell me, tell me what it is, Dr. Cole. What is a morning after pill? Because I've heard, I've heard about it a lot, but I'm not too sure what it is. It's simply a, a, a fairly large dose of a hormone that induces a withdrawal bleed. And we try and do that before implantation sets in. So you just take a, a single dose. I think the available ones are progesterone only. Um, you can just use a high dose of oral contraceptive. Um, and then stop, and that could that would usually bring on a withdrawal bleed. But firstly, it's not 100% effective. It's not nearly as effective as being on a proper contraceptive, and you don't want to keep causing withdrawal bleeds and messing up your ovarian cycle. And is it easily available over the counter? It is. I believe it's available without prescription. Um, Why progesterone is it so? only one, and but it mustn't be seen as a contraceptive. You mustn't. You must use it in an emergency situation when a condom bursts or something like that, and you're not on another um, contraceptive. But it mustn't be seen as something that it's, it's not a contraceptive. You don't go and take it every single time you have intercourse. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think this is such an important one, and I'm hoping, I can't wait for the female condom. I know it's here, I know uh, it's being tested, and, but I'm not too sure how popular it is. We've spoken to a few people who were, you know, uh, 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 working on it, yeah. but what do you know about the female condom? You know, the early female condoms, I haven't seen the latest versions, the early ones were quite sort of cumbersome affairs, and 
somewhat of a passion killer, I would think. <laughs> yeah, but clumsy, hey? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you haven't seen the latest one. As soon as you know about it, Dr. Cole, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'd like to talk to you uh, about it some more. But I'd like people to hear it from you, especially young ladies and, and, yeah. and older women that are sexually active. It is still very important to use a contraceptive. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us. Great pleasure. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. As Dr. Peter Call, specialist obstetrician and gynecologist in Santon, who joined us on the phone. And when we come back, if you do not use that contraceptive, then you're likely to fall pregnant. And sometimes people cannot afford to be pregnant or fall pregnant. So when we come back, um, we talk about, again, September 28 was a global day of action for access to safe and legal abortion. That's what we're going to talk about next. Otherwise, on SAFM. Joining me now is Marion Stevens from WISH, Women in Sexual and Reproductive Rights and Health. Uh, Association Coordinator and Research Association with the African Gender Institute. Marion, thanks for joining us. Hi, good afternoon, Shadow. How are you doing? We've spoken before, haven't we? Yes, yes. Thanks for joining us again. Thanks. Uh, um, I wanted to come in and and kind of follow on from what Dr. Cole had said. Yes, yes. Because I think it's, it's a very nice... Um, continuum. Yes. And to say that um, government is actually launching a new contraceptive policy. It's due out this month. We're hoping that they get it together to launch it. But the health services are, are, are briefed and are in place to roll out. And what they actually are very keen to do is to increase the use of the old IUD because it's really believed to be a very safe method. And we are going to possibly be um, trying to give women greater choice, so not so much reliance on the injection and the hormonal contraceptive anymore, Mm -hmm. because in the context of HIV, it's believed that um, the IUD option is possibly a lot safer, and then also bringing into into, um, play the, the range of female condoms, and hey, Shadow, I want to tell you, the female condom is not a passion killer. No, the first a, one, the first one was. Well, I never had a problem with it, you know. Then you must, you must make a video. <laughs> well, there are videos. Encourage uh, listeners go and check out YouTube and look at, search for the female condom, and look at all those positive um, sex ads which describe it. All ranges of women, all sizes of women, all shades of women using it, and we've got to talk about. The heat transfer, we've got to talk about lubrication, we've got to talk about what works for us and we're all different. Well, I think, in fact, because women have always taken the responsibility of the the ones that prevent and the ones that make sure that there's protection, I think also with the female condom, they're doing it all by themselves. And I think if you engage your partner to, 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 it, it has to become part of your sexual activity. To, to you to to make sure that it, it's user friendly. Absolutely. I mean, for for many men, um, they might actually prefer to negotiate using a female condom because it's more spacious, um, it's more pleasurable for women. You've got that ring which um, is pleasurable for for men and women. 
Um, we need to get into details, you know, about the pleasure. Well, I, I, I think there is room. I think there is room for that, so that we educate people that yeah. it's not just a no-no. The first one, I must say, I'm, I'm, I, I can't wait. I think we, I've, I've seen bits, uh, not bits, but I've seen I'll ideas. bring you some, Shadow. They're I'll, coming next month. Are they coming next month? Yeah. Okay, so you'll come in and sit with me. Yes. And we'll do this whole demonstration on yes. here about about uh, this condom because I think I think it's going to be called the V condom. The V condom. Yeah, because the bottom of it is shaped in a V. Ah, okay. But talking about abortion, no, no. Before, before we even get there quickly, the IUD used to be a very serious problem in the past, and I'm talking many years ago. Why was it? A, why do you think it was a problem, Shadow? Uh, the, the, especially the T, the T one. Um, the copper T. Copper T. Copper tea apparently used to have, it used to eventually, because people were not changing it as often, I think, mm. they used to, they thought it was a, a permanent yeah. kind of device that you sit there, and it, it then engaged itself, mm. in the end, it was difficult to remove, and other people said they'd fall pregnant with it. Well, I it think, you know, the onus is on the Department mm. of Health to get us all, have better communication, understanding of the range that suits us all as individuals. But the real emphasis is, is I mean, they, the Department of Health also has got a couple of these new fancy hormonal IUD advices, as, you know, um, devices as well. If you're a woman who's got a heavy period, um, and, you know, that indicates that you might need the marina one, which Dr. Cole was talking about. Oh, my goodness. You know, they tell me that we've run out of time. I can't believe it. We've hardly started <laughs> talking about about uh, abortion, which is very, it's a huge subject. Yes. And it's big. I know. May you've got I, your children's story now. I know. But may I ask you to come back? Yes, of course. In Dad. fact, maybe join me in the studio next week. I'll make a date with you right now on air. <laughs> next week, sure, I'll join, bring join me in the studio and, and, and let's do the whole thing. Hey? All right. Sure. Thank you so much. Thank you okay, so much. Okay, have a lovely afternoon, Shadow. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. Time just goes like that. It's time for Sharp Sharp. Thanks, Marion. And today we're hearing from two children's book authors, Linda Roder and Dorian Harfoff.